Father, this morning we just come to you. We come to you, Father, because you are the author of life. And you said your words are life and spirit. You said, Father, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. This mountain shall be moved. So this morning we come to your word, the ministry of your word, and we seek your help, Spirit of God. Touch us. Touch me that I might speak your word. Touch all of us that we may hear you speak to us. Each one. Meet them, Lord. Through your word, through your spirit, at their point of need, speak to them. Because when you speak, there is clarity. And there is power. And there is unction released. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We go to Hebrews 10 and verse 38 first. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I'm not tall enough, but it still irritates my eyes. I know it doesn't bother most of the boys. But you know, when you go for interviews, you need to be very, very careful, okay? Because there are people who when they interview and when you come into their room will leave a photograph slightly tilted on the way you are coming in to see how you react. And sometimes you answer all the questions, but you don't get the job because you didn't put it straight. Because the nature of the job needs that detail. Okay, so always look for small details because in life ultimately as you progress you will realize it is the little details that actually matter. So here is one verse. We have heard in Habakkuk, in Romans, Colossians, Galatians, right? Galatians, the just shall live by faith. It's repeated. But when it comes here, God adds something more. But if anyone draws back. Now usually the buts in the Bible is connected with a positive. All things are bad, but God was there for. Here is the other way around. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Okay? That's not the message. Okay? But remember, we are called to live by faith. Now if you come to James chapter 2 verse 17 and 18, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Okay, and in verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now we come to Hebrews, the main chapter about the works of faith in the Bible. A record, not a complete record, a record. 30 to 35, beginning of 35. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. 
And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness, weakness were made strong, become valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. And the second part, of course, is talking about the other side. Others were tortured, okay, both sides. The reason I put these three scriptures together is this. Just shall live by faith. That's a personal living. Learning to lean on Jesus, reading the word, studying the word, knowing the ways of God, appropriating the power of the Holy Spirit, and living a sanctified life. It's, it is absolutely necessary. But if your focus is solely on your personal success, spiritually, you will be a public failure in the eyes of God. There's a personal success and there's a public success. Okay? The second, third part which we read today in Hebrews 11 is talking about people. Of course, this is Old Testament people. So even though they were not personally such successful people, publicly they were incredibly successful people. This is talking about the works of faith. So we need acts of faith. Never underestimate the importance of acts of faith. Think about a moment about on Mount Horeb and uh, Elijah with God. And Elijah is saying to God, I'm the only one expecting some sympathy from God. And God says, no, you're not the only one. There are 7,000 others who have not bend their knee to but did anybody know them? No. The whole world only knew Elijah. Because not only was he a personal success by not bowing his knee before Baal, he was a public success because he had a work of faith that was established. Okay? We need both. The kingdom of God advances by the second. The subdued kingdoms. The kingdom of God is established in you and me by the first. But the kingdom of God advances by the second. And if you have noticed the past few weeks, you know, I've been focusing on the second. Focusing on the second. Because I want that balance to be there. That we don't underestimate what God wants to do through each one of us. The days of crusades and conventions in this nation is over. If this nation is going to be one, it's going to be one only by God's ways. There would be an army of men and women of faith who will arise. And they will have incredible acts of faith because they believe. Not only in their personal closet they did not bow their knee to Baal, but they will also stand up in the public square fearless. Last Wednesday, if you were there or if you listened to the message, the title was Men and Women of War. Spiritual war, because scripture says the kingdom of God advances with violence. Not physical violence, spiritual violence. Okay? And violent men and women and children take hold of it. Because all over the world, if you notice, it is the same. 
the demonic has taken over control of the narrative. Politics, education, media, movies, sports, everything has been infiltrated and taken over by ideology, which is demonic. As I was coming in the in the car, I was just looking at an online news portal of US, and the main news of that is its news is this. 2020, President Trump will not win because the masters of the universe have taken over, meaning the ones who control media. They will silence every conservative voice using algorithms and all that. You see it's already happening. And one of the reasons this present government won is because the media was completely taken over. And you don't realize we have become a people, let me take it out. We have become a people who don't longer read the printed word. We are all onto the media. We receive our information from various apps, but a couple of sources. Almost everything is controlled by Google or Apple. Few of them. They control everything. That's exactly how the whole thing was planned out by the enemy. Everything. If I get people all hooked to this, so your source of information comes... Then they keep on changing systems so that you hear only what they want you to hear. That's why I always say, this is our source of information. Source of information. And if you don't allow this to control ultimately your thinking, we will be part of that group written in the book of Thessalonians who fell away. Falling away happens gradually. When falling away happens gradually, one is not even aware of. Or the writer of Hebrews says, because we have heard this incredibly great salvation, we drift away. Drifting is so gradual, nobody even realizes. The only way you will realize you have been fallen away or drifted away is because you know where you were moved to. The pillar. The word of God. And anything that contradicts the word. Anything that contradicts the spirit. You train yourself to reject it. So you need to realize all over the world. The battle is being fought. For the minds of people. Literally in these last days. For the minds of the people. And you are not even aware. That sports. Movies, songs, books, politics, everything is brainwashing. The devil wants your mind. God wants your mind. Remember the message? Whoever has your mind has your body. So this is absolutely demonic. The spirit of the air, as Paul would call it, controls the narrative. But over and above that is the word of God and the spirit of God. So the kingdom of God advances. The kingdom of God will always advance. It will, it cannot, cannot be stopped. Whether I am a part of it, you are a part of it is irrelevant. The kingdom of God will advance. 
So it is true. It's it's like I heard a preacher say this morning while I was shaving. He said, Nebuchadnezzar told the three Jewish men, bow or burn. And their answer was, if we bow, we burn. Two different meanings, right? He said, if you bow, if you don't bow, you will burn. They said, you don't understand, king. If we bow, we will burn in another place. Perspective is very, very clear. Very, very, very clear. Why I'm saying is this, you know, when, unless we understand the demonic and understand how systems operate and we fight these things spiritually, we will go into depression. We will go into discouragement. We will start falling away. We will start drifting away like Israel's history and the church's history. And nothing is going to happen. Change is not going to happen unless we hit it where it really matters. This, Jesus put it this way. In Matthew 12, he said, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. You know, one of the things they actually found stunning about Jesus' ministry was not the healing of the sick. Because that was there in the Old Testament. It's not the raising of the dead. It was there in the... It was not the multiplying of the food. The prophets did in the Old Testament. The only thing he did which nobody did was casting out demons. The only thing the church did which was different from the Old and the New Testament is casting out demons. He said, if I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. But, how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then he will plunder his house. Right? So he's telling us something over here. He's putting across a pattern to the disciples and to the church. This house, nations, there is a strong man. There are localities, towns, cities, nations. There are strong men who oppose the kingdom of God. We know from Daniel and all, we know there are prince, principality means a prince is over it. Okay, principal. Lucifer is the king. And then he has princes over nations. Those they are called in Ephesians 6, principality. And you remember the prince of Persia opposed Daniel for 21 days. And who had to come? Michael, the archangel in charge of Israel, had to come over to Babylon to fight the battle. So these are real things. This is not fairy tale. These are real things and nothing has changed. Only thing, now the church has been given incredible power and authority which is not utilized or underutilized. And Jesus is saying that you're not going to bring about change wherever you are placed unless you know how to fight this battle. There are strong men. Like voting machines are kept in strong rooms. People are locked up by strong men. And you want to release strong men? You have to get rid of the strong man. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was not contradicting himself in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1. He said, go. And Acts 1, he said, wait. Both, he said. He said, first go. But he said, don't go unless you have received power. You cannot do this on your strength. You cannot. But when the Holy Spirit comes, you shall receive power. Then you can be my witnesses. You can be my, what's a witness? God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and he went about doing good and releasing 
everyone oppressed of the devil. That's the same mandate for the church. Nothing has changed. Nothing, nothing has changed. Post-Pentecost, you see there's an incredible result when Peter stands up and speaks. You have a harvest over there. And immediately there is a reaction from the authorities. The enemy powers will use flesh and blood. They will race. Tussles are arrested, flogged. Immediately there is a reaction from action from the church. There is a reaction from authorities. There is action from the church. And they're very, very clear. The church is not withdrawing at all now. They understand this is, hey, this is fun. Okay, a few beatings on the way, few floggings, few chains and all. But this is, now we understand what this is. So you see in Acts chapter 4, they're very, very clear. Their prayer is very, very clear. No pure Lord, have made nothing like that. Look, Lord, at their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Okay. Give us boldness, Lord. We want to speak your word, but give us boldness. Look at their threats. We will not allow you. But Lord, give us boldness to speak. And what? By stretching out your hand to heal, Lord. Lord, when we speak in my office, in my classroom, in my college, wherever I am, Lord, you give me the boldness, you put the words in my mouth, and Lord, when I stretch forth my hand, let your hand be there on me. Let there be signs and wonders done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I'm not just asking for boldness to preach. I'm asking for signs and wonders. Let this nation know God is real. God is real. Immediately, you know, stuff happened. Reaction again. Look at Acts chapter 5. Reaction from the authority. Demonic immediately. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. Put them. Not even in the normal prison. In the common prison. Humiliate them. Put them there. Immediately action from God. It's like it's going on battle. At the night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out and said, go stand in the temple, speak to the people all the words of this life. You know the kingdom of God is moving. Kingdom of God is moving. Okay? It's very exciting days. Does it stop there? No. Saul of Tarsus comes into the picture. Stephen is Stoned to death. And Acts chapter 8 again. Saul was consenting to his death. And at that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. You see that happens. Once the first man has been killed. The enemies also gets a lot of encouragement to continue the attack. That's how it happens. Until you have thrown your first stone at the bus. You are very scared. Okay, You know, that's what happens to these mobs. Once you've broken your first glass, you're very, and you get everybody, come, come, follow me. Okay, it's like that. Once the first Kapoor guy is killed, great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Immediately there is action from God. Verses 4 and 5. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. The kingdom of God is working. The enemy scatters them. God uses the people to scatter, preach the word. So God had said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. Now what happened? Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Samaria is a Samaritan city. 
And God is not using any of the apostles. Why? He's saying, I'm going to tell that ordinary people can do this. He's a man who was waiting at the table, in charge of the table. And God took him. Took Philip. And signs and wonders and Samaria turned. When Samaria turned, the apostles, Peter and John, came from Jerusalem to help Philip out. So please remember, unless you believe, like I keep saying, unless you believe, this is, nothing is going to happen. But you have to believe in your personal lives. Okay, don't get carried away by it. Always remain humble. It's God who is doing it. It's not you. And just do what you have to do. Don't do what you are not qualified to do. Philip evangelized. John and Peter ministered. Philip did not know that. Two people get saved in your office. Don't take them home and start your own church. Bring them to church. Otherwise you will realize, because you have to understand how the kingdom of God works. Because we have to stop looking out for our personal success. And your personal miracles, healing, deliverance, promotion. And start saying, Lord use me for your kingdom. The kingdom of God is so close, it's here, almost here. Jesus could come any day and then there is no more time to work for the kingdom. It's over. Lord, let me not enter into your kingdom with empty hands, Lord, please. Okay. So how do we impact the kingdom? How do we have works of faith? Because this is literally war, but not with flesh and blood. In Ephesians 6, very familiar, but we have to keep going. For we do not. Most of our energy is gone wrestling with flesh and blood. That's why we have no energy to pray or do anything. Because most of the time we are fighting flesh and blood. God says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But we wrestle. We do not, but we wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. He says, he says there's a whole list of them. Billions of them. Billions upon them. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor. Put on the full armor of God. That's for defense. Put on. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. There are two positions in the Bible. The position of rest is sit. The position of faith is stand. Every place God will say stand and see the deliverance of God. These are spiritual positions. So scripture is saying take your stand. Put on the full armor. And the first thing they will say, the apostle will say is put on the belt of truth. Which has many, many levels. But one level is God is truth. Christ is truth, the word is truth, the spirit is truth, and the church is meant to be the pillar of truth. Meaning, understand the ways of God in history, through the Bible and church history. Learn his ways. Know your God. If you don't know your God, you won't be bold. You won't do stuff. You and I will not do stuff. Scripture says in Daniel, those who know their God will do great exploits. So in the book of Acts, you see the people are starting to get to know God. So when 
trouble is coming their way, they are praying according to the knowledge of God. They are not saying, Lord, protect God, give us more boldness. We are going to step out into the public realm. And if they are going to scatter us, wherever we go, we are going to take your word along with us. They can't shut our mouth anymore. They cannot shut our mouth anymore. Because you always have to remember, that's where your boldness and your confidence comes from knowing God. Because always remember, when the hour is darkest, that's when the dawn is close by. All these intellectual chit-chats is not going to change the destiny of this nation. Souls have to be one. No, these armchair discussions are not going to make any difference. And God, if we will not become like God said, be foolish and weak in his hands to be used by him, he will find. That's what Jesus said, if you don't praise these rocks and these trees will. Will. Okay. The purpose of our learning is so that God will use us and we will step out and we will Get into our closet. We will hear from God. We will believe God and we will step out. And we will actually hear from God and step out because we have a God who speaks continuously, always. And one of the first thing he will say over there is cast out demons. It's a demonic that control. Unless you bind this strong man, you're not going to do anything. Cast out demons. That's why Mark 16 will say these signs shall follow and the first thing is you shall cast out demons. Unless you cast out demons, he says, it's very difficult to set people free. Complacency will cost you. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, you see what complacency. About that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James, John and Peter, the three separated from the twelve unto Jesus. They were the ones with him, Jairus' daughter, everybody out, these three. They saw the miracle. They were the ones on the Mount of Transfiguration. In in Gethsemane, he left the other disciples, took these three with him to pour out his soul. First one is gone. Gone. Why is he silenced? And then, what happens? Verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer. Suddenly the church woke up. They realized, probably, we were complacent and we lost one of our leaders. So they woke up. And Peter was released. God was teaching the church. Through it all, God works it out. This was Herod. The issue is that people have stopped believing in the miraculous. They think that now that Bible has been written, God is also now, okay, please do things on your own way. I'll give you a book. Go by the book. As if he's a manufacturer of fridges and TV and all. We delivered the TV, there is a book in it. Now please work the way you like. He says, no. I haven't stopped. I'm still the same. I'm still the same. And you look at verse 23, what happened to the man who killed James? Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God and he's eaten up by worms and died. So you see the book of Acts is not the Acts just of the apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It has never stopped unless we stop it in our lives. The Holy Spirit never stops. And if we stop him, he will find somebody else who will do the work we are supposed to do. Because it's the anointing, Romba, that breaks the yoke. 
It's the anointing that teaches. But the spirit has to move. That's why God said, it is not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. So the church does not lean on political power. It does not lean on money power. It does not lean on intellectual power or the arm of flesh. It knows only one source of power. That is his spirit. And if we lean on anything else, God will move out. God has no issues as long as we use these other things, but we lean on only his arm. Lean on his arm. Now the issue here is this, like we said, so many people will say, but I am not qualified. Let me tell you, none of us will be ever qualified. None of us will be ever qualified enough to do the work of God. That's why the anointing is the given. There was the only man who was qualified to do the work of God was Jesus. Before, after, there was no qualified man. And the qualification, the weakness, everything is taken over and supplied by, the strength is supplied by the Holy Spirit. It is the anointing. Okay, But remember, remember Wednesday's message too. Like a trained army, first goes in the crack troops, then follows the other troops that will hold the ground. So you will always see the apostolic ministry, the evangelic ministry with signs and miracles, with converts, and churches are established, and the next group goes in and makes disciples. I take a look around the city, and I will tell you what I see. I'm not saying it will happen, unless God moves. What I see is thousands and thousands, the last the pastor's meeting also I asked, thousands upon thousands of empty classrooms to be filled. If the Holy Spirit moves over the city, we'll have 10,000 churches in this city and God will need everybody to teach. You have no clue how God wins nations. One move of the Holy Spirit, half a city can be won. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can stop him. That's what I said. Don't wait to be qualified. Let me tell you something. Samson was not very personally qualified. If you look at his personal life. But he was actually a public success. The Philistines never overcame him. Scripture records for 20 years he judged Israel. And Philistines did not prevail over him until the end. Please remember that. The problem is we are looking for our perfection and then go out. God saying that you think you will do the work. He says, no, everybody I used were weak and imperfect vessels. Over and over the pattern is established in the Bible, old and new. And we learn from the patterns in the Bible because these patterns show God's ways. Like I said, the Old Testament is literally a book of war. A New Testament is a book of spiritual warfare. And you learn from Old Testament how to fight your spiritual, how to become a man or a woman of war. And we are not fighting for land. We are fighting for souls. We are fighting for glory. Glory. 
Look at glory described by Daniel in the final chapter. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. Daniel, God is telling through Daniel, he says, those who actually have the acts of faith and bring people into the kingdom will have glory that will never go away in eternity. They will have glory. They will shine like stars forever. That is when we will realize all these bands behind the head you see in calendars and all. Uh, you will see people walking in glory. And when you look at them, their glory levels, you will say, why that man brought 10,000? Oh, that brought man 2 billion. That brought 2 million in. Nations, and they were different. Right? They just believed. They were not this great, powerful people you see on TV and media. And I'm not talking about Christian television. I'm talking about none of them. These were simple people who believed and stepped out. And that's what God is talking about. So you have to believe. The idea is that when you read the word, when you hear the word, when you listen to messages, you have to believe this is a God who is who is really. Of course, there will be fear. Learn to overcome. In Isaiah, he actually says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. As high, as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts, your thoughts. Okay. That's why we have to hear. Let me tell you, when you hear, it's very difficult to believe that God meant what he said. That's why you need this. Lord, if my thought was your thought, how easy it is. I would tell you how things should be done. <laughs> but the problem is, that's not the way he thinks and that's not the way he does. So first remember, when you, he tells you something, it may look, may look and sound almost always ridiculous. Okay? Ridiculous. So how do we know? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 10 and 11. God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Okay. So that means, remember Wednesday? Each one of us daily have to be willing to become weak, foolish, ignoble, each day, in the eyes of God, and in the eyes of the world. He didn't ask us to be fools. He asked us to be foolish in the eyes of the world. Weak in the eyes of the world. And remember, God usually always only chooses those category of people. And often, I believe in this nation too, God has to bring us to the end of ourselves. Where only God can save us. So that no man will boast. And look that always in the Bible. Always I see that in the Bible. Constant. Before Abraham could have a child, promised child, this man has to come to that point where it is absolutely impossible. And God appears and says, next year you will have a child. 
Elijah has been told in chariot, I've already ordained a widow to feed you. But when he reaches Zarephath and reaches the widow, poor lady who's picking up sticks and he asks her to get some water. When she goes to get water, he asks her to get him a cake or a bread or whatever she says. There's just enough for my last piece of bread. God waited that the man of God reached when she was at the last slice of bread and then told her, give it. You go back and read Acts chapter 12. Or let me give it to you. Acts chapter 12. Peter's release. Words. Six. Twelve six. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, you see that? Peter was in prison. And Herod said, after Passover, I'll finish him off. The church prayed, 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 prayed. But the night before execution, only God moved. Could have moved before he did. It's when you are about to give up. That's when God moves. Just waiting to see you and me. How long will you trust me? How long will you? He's never changed. It's as soon as Saul has offered the sacrifice, I'm okay. Should have just waited 10 minutes. He would have been king. Do you trust me? Do you believe me? Or you will take matter into your own hands. Are you really weak? Are you really weak? If Elijah had come two days earlier and he had told the woman, please give me a cake, he said, yeah, I have, I have just enough for two days. So I, I thank you. I can make and give it to you. But she had enough just for one meal. Not even for two meals. One meal. And God says, are you really weak? You are really weak when you have no option but God. That's when you are really weak. You know Abraham's overcoming generation, Joshua generation who entered into the promised land, cross river Jordan. And in the first thing he does with them before a single battle, Jericho, anything, Joshua does something. You see in Joshua 5 and verse 5, he does. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they have, had not been circumcised. And then, next verse. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp. They were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of the place is called Gilgal this day. What did he do? The first thing he did with Israel before they could fight one battle. He says, cut their flesh off. You will not rely on the arm of flesh if you want to overcome. Your strength will be me and me alone and my ways, not your ways. My strength, not your strength. That is Gilgal. That is Gilgal. That's from where they started. And if you note Joshua chapter 7 and verse 2, when they lost their first battle, and Joshua sent men from Jericho. He did not send them from Gilgal. They did not camp in 
They had won Jericho the previous day. So they are standing in their victory instead of going to the place of weakness. God says, beware, you stand, lest you fall. Every day be weak before God. Yesterday's success does not guarantee today's victory, today's weakness and reliance on God's power guarantees today's victory. They went from Jericho and they lost to a tiny, weeny little town. And yet if you look at the greatest victory Joshua's greatest of probably man's, one of his greatest victories by man in the power of God, recorded in Joshua 10 and verse 14. This is what God records. There has been no day like that before it or after it, that Lord heeded the voice of a man and the Lord fought for Israel. Not a day. Man stands over there. He is so pumped up. He, the power of God is with the army. He wants to win the, the battle. But the time is not on their side. It's going to set. Meaning you have to carry the battle over to another day. But he's so pumped up. He wants his victory today. He stands up and says, stop sun and moon. And God heard that man and stopped it and said, I'm so glad for your victory. Fight and win. I'll stop time for you. But do you know the secret behind it? It's in verse 9. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly having marched all night from Gilgal. All night. Even when you gather for, I remember the last midnight, watch night, midnight service on fasting prayer we had. I always, I told you from this portion that when you gather for midnight, remember, gather because you are weak, not because you are strong. From the point of weakness, from Gilgal, they marched all night and God stopped time for them to win the next day. Always remember that. God hasn't picked the smart ones. God does not pick the intellectual ones. God does not pick the rich ones. God does not pick the strong ones. He does not. Because he loves you so much not to pick you because you will go on your own strength and mess your life up. He picks the weak and makes them strong. He picks the foolish and makes them wise that they will stand before the wise and the wise will be amazed by the wisdom these foolish ones will speak. That's what happened to the Sanhedrin when they heard Peter and John speak. He'll take the poor and make them rich. When God does. Otherwise you will lean on to your riches to do the work of God. God says no. God says no. The next generation You know about Elijah walking, mentoring, mentoring, mentoring. You have nothing recorded about Elijah for almost 10, 12 years. I don't know how many years, 10 years, 12 years. Mentoring one single man called Elisha. He has got many schools where he's teaching. Schools of prophets, different, different schools. He's a circuit preacher. He preaches, preaches, but one man is with him. And it is the day he's going to be taken. Who's going to be taken? Elijah is going to be taken. And Elisha is going to receive that double portion. We know history, so we know he received. But look at Second Kings chapter 2 and verse 1, how the day begins. And it came to pass, when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. At Jericho, at Bethel, at Jordan, there are plenty of sons of prophet. Gilgal, there was only one man. And therefore that man will receive a double portion of that spirit because he started from a point of weakness. 
All the others had gifts. They also knew Elijah was being taken. But the spirit that was upon Elijah, the double portion of it, they did not receive. Only Elisha received because Elisha's history begins from here, from Gilgal. Where does our history begin from? Are you strong? You'll struggle. And God will allow you to struggle until you are weak. And you think about Elisha. All those years. Living with a man like Elijah is not easy. Was never offended. Absolutely clear-eyed purpose. What do you want? Double portion. So this morning, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? In Judges 6 and verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Who is this? Gideon. God comes and tells Gideon, mighty man of valor. Why did he tell him mighty man of valor? What was that about that man that God told him, you are a mighty man of valor? Look at how the man saw himself. 6.15 He said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. Now, this is not now what people have taken scripture and made it into motivational speakers. And they will tell you, tell yourself, mighty man of God. Gideon never said anything like that. He said, my clan, many tribes, my tribe is the weakest. And in that tribe, my clan is the weakest. In that clan, my house is the weakest. In my house, I am the weakest. God said, mighty man. I was looking for a weak man in Israel. Finally, I found one. Today, that's not. We are called to confess. We are mighty, 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 mighty. So you have to realize where God meets that man and where that man meets God, both agree. God says, I make the weak strong. The man says, I am weak. God says, you are strong. Because in your weakness, my strength can be perfected. He found a weak man. He saw himself totally ineffective. And God said, you are ready. 6.13. Look at that. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, Why then has all this happened to us? Where are all these miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You see this man's hiding weak in the winepress. His still, his heart was how God had worked in Israel in the past. You haven't changed. We have changed. I still believe God can do it. See, God doesn't change. We change. We become very scientific in our outlook. His heart was still on God. And he still was burdened. Lord, why have you forsaken us? My question, my answer, my message today is that if your heart is really not burdened for this nation, God cannot use you to save souls. We love many things, but we don't love people. We love many things, but we don't love people enough to save them. And that's the issue. I believe all those 40 years in the wilderness, Moses never lost mind of the Jewish brethren who were their slaves in Egypt. And all this while Gideon was weak, but he was concerned about his nation. Burden and weakness 
are a terrible combination in the world but is an incredible combination in the kingdom Moses was weak and had an incredible burden Paul was zealous for Yahweh the real god but he was did not know Christ and Yahweh was the same so he was he had a burden for the name of god and had no wisdom he was strong in himself that's why he was going around and arresting the christians he didn't arrest samaritans he didn't arrest a single gentile he arrested all the jewish believers who had become christians because he says the lord doesn't permit it so he was actually zealous for god without knowing christ was god he was a very strong man with a burden So what is the first act of God before he can make him into his apostle Acts chapter 9 verse 8 and 9 Saul arose from the go- from the ground and when his eyes were opened he saw no one but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus the first thing God made him weak he rises is blind he had led his entourage now his entourage is leading him he made him weak first and three more days without sight and he made himself weaker He did not eat, nor drink, and he fasted. And God said, "You are ready. You are ready." And God spoke. The issue is the church is full of strong people, because we have substituted education for faith, and pulpits are full of motivational speakers. Believe in yourself. Please don't. History is full of fools who believed in themselves. Judges 6:14 The Lord turned to him and said go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites have I not sent you where did God find him when all the Israelites because the Midianites were coming and taking away their harvest and they were all gone into the mountains and the caves were hiding here is one man in the wine press threshing his wheat god looked and said you know what you got a little mustard seed faith and god said if you have a faith as small as a mustard seed i can move mountains he says go in your strength that's all i need just a little faith you got it go in that strength i am with you you can save israel you can save israel go i will be with you His faith was very weak. Moses faith also was very weak. When we all started our faith was very weak. But we went. We all went. You know, when you go out in weak faith, you obey and you step, God gives you signs to strengthen your faith. God gave him four signs. Gideon. Four signs. and by the time the fourth sign he receives he is ready to go and fight because his weak faith god strengthens moses was very weak he said i cannot god says what do you got sick that's all throw the sick boy snake now take this rod put your hand on your chest yes white leprous put it back now go do you think i can do things yes lord go met his brother on the way both of them go to israel and in israel they meet the elders 
The elders are all very scared because Pharaoh, his army, the soldiers, everything. So what do they do in Exodus 4 and verse 30 to encourage them? What does it say? Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people and they were encouraged. Please remember. God will give you signs. Don't run with the signs and run away. But it is to encourage your faith. It is to encourage your faith. So that you know this God is real. The other parts we know, he will ask for a personal consecration. He will ask Gideon to cut down the Baal pole outside his father's. With Moses he will tell him, circumcise your own children. You know the spiritual narrative. But look at it. Narrate you. How, how it happens when you take a step of faith. 6.32. Judges. Therefore on that day he called him Jerubabel saying, Let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. So he tears down the altar of the world in his life. Immediately 33 the narrative changes. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Okay, so God says, learn. Learn my ways. Learn the enemy's way. The day you decide to personally consecrate yourself for the Lord and step out, you've seen the signs, you have decided, you take a public step, suddenly the enemy will move. New Testament pattern, your manager will say that you are on that list to be chucked out. All your colleagues turn a cold shoulder. Don't witness too much here. The enemy moves its forces. The Bible actually tells it was one lakh thirty five thousand hundred and thirty five thousand armed soldiers come. Enemy moved its forces. The next verse is very, very important. Verse 34. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet. What is written next? Not that he blew the trumpet. Not the Israelites gathered. That's not what is important. If you and I blow the trumpet and people gather, it has no meaning unless the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The Bible in the Old Testament and in the New Testament distinguishes this very, very, very clearly. Whenever the Spirit of the Lord came upon God's servants, they were successful. Even if they were failures in their personal life. They were very successful in their public ministry. And in new covenant, the order, Jesus is the pattern. We know from the gospel according to Luke, Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. Right? You and I are born of the Holy Spirit. That is so that we live a successful personal life. Which they could not do in the Old Testament because they were not born of the Holy Spirit. But when he was 30 years old and his consecration for ministry, for in his case, baptism, when he came out, scripture says the Holy Spirit came upon him. Right? 
so that the pattern is so very clear, we are given a very visible picture of the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove. Because he is gentle, he is meek, he is peaceable, so it comes. In the same way on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles, we are given a visible picture of cloven tongues. Because none of them are meek, gentle or peaceable, so their tongues need to be straightened out first. It's as simple. There's nothing to be straightened out in Jesus, so it comes in the form of a dove. Be wise as a serpent, but gentle as a dove. None of these opposed sons of thunder and fire these guys are. So first their tongue has to be cleaned out before they will become gentle. But remember, before that, 50 days earlier, Jesus also had sent them the same way. He breathed upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So receiving the Holy Spirit at salvation... And the Holy Spirit coming upon them with power are two different things. Two different things. And Holy Spirit came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet. That was the key. It's not the trumpet he blew or the people gathered. The Holy Spirit came upon. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon people in the New Testament and the Old Testament, they do different things. In Numbers 24 and verse 2, I think I didn't give it. I gave it? Yeah. Balaam raised his eyes, so Israel camped according to their tribes. Balaam has been hired to curse. And he looked and he saw the tribes and he was about to curse. What did, What came? The Holy Spirit came upon him. The Spirit of God came upon him and he opened his mouth and he blessed. I'll tell you exactly what happened 20, 25, 30 years ago. It's a testimony I've heard of a pastor. He was preaching in a large church like this. Not not like this. Our small, large church. And while he was preaching, suddenly an old lady got up from the back and came with a finger like this. An old lady. And he was wondering, what is this? So, pastor, pastor, I'm sorry, I have never interrupted a service in my life. So he said, okay, mama, what is it? Even I have never been interrupted in my life. So, what is it? He said, it's a night service. It's 9.30. And at 10 o'clock, my son will be executed in Sing Sing prison. Those you know, US will know it's one of the uh, maximum security prisons. He will be in the electric chair for murder. 30 minutes, my son will die. I am talking as a mother. And every mother knows when his son or daughter is lying or not. And I know my son has not committed that murder. He's innocent. He said, I was stunned. I did not know what to do. How do you answer this mother? And then he started praying in the spirit. He's praying, 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 praying in the spirit. And then understanding came and he opened his mouth and he said, Lord, the real murderer, wherever he is now, get hold of him and let him confess to the murder." And he prayed with the mother and said, Mama, go back home and sleep. Your son will not die. He was visiting a town. Next morning from that hotel, those days they have to, you have to put a nickel into the machine to get your daily newspaper. He opened the daily newspaper. In the third page was execution stayed by the district attorney. Because exactly at 9.40, a guy called up the district attorney and said, I am the one who committed the murder, not the man. 
Where are you? I am in one of these precincts walking to the police station. The DA stopped the execution. He walked, he interviewed that guy and he said, what is making you confess? He said, I have no clue. All I know is the force has come upon me, taken me, made me confess. And he looked at the time. It was exactly the time the mother and the pastor had agreed. Do you believe? It's a question, do you believe? Dalam opened his mouth. Doesn't matter. Let everybody open their mouth to curse us. But do you believe God will take over and turn the curse into a blessing? Do you believe? That's what David prayed. David said, I am, I am out. The people have gone. The army has gone. Everybody has gone to Absalom. Even Ahitophel has gone. And I'm more worried about Ahitophel than the army. Because he's got brains. He's got wisdom. If this king listens to him, I am done. So one simple prayer. Lord, turn his wisdom into foolishness. Do you believe? Judges chapter 3 and verse 10 scripture says, The spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. These are weak people. Foolish people. Not great people. They never went to college. They never had a degree. But they could judge a nation for years because the spirit of the Lord came upon them. Why do you think God has changed? Judges 11, 29. Jephthah told you on Venice, the son of a prostitute, everybody, his own legitimate brothers have kicked him out of the house. He has no name, no reputation, nobody because his mother is a prostitute and his father is dead. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizpah of Gilead from Mizpah to Gilead and he advanced through the people of Ammon. Everything is making way for him because the spirit of the Lord is upon him. The spirit makes way. Do you believe? When you face hostility, the spirit of the Lord is upon you. It will make way for you. And God says, I will make your crooked path straight. It is the spirit of God that goes ahead and makes it straight. You have to believe. First Samuel 10, 10. When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he prophesied among them. Who is this? This is Saul. King Saul. 16, 13. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the press midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Another term is used in the words, the spirit of the Lord coming upon is the term is the hand of the Lord. Okay, that you see in 1st Kings 18.46. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now what you need to understand is when he is running ahead of Ahab, Ahab is going in the best chariot in the city with the strongest horses which the king's chariot is being pulled. And Elijah ran faster than the horses. Second Kings chapter 3 verse 15. Now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. Do you remember Jehoshaphat? When he was in trouble, all the nations gathered around him and he went before God and he cried and he wept and he prayed. Something interesting happened that time, which is this is what I want you to look at. Second Chronicles 20.14 Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon who? Now let me ask you this question. I am not very good at tabulating history in the Bible. But Jehoshaphat and Ahab are contemporaries, right? 
And Ahab is killed, Azariah becomes the king, and Jehoshaphat is king. So when Jehoshaphat, I believe when this is happening, it is interesting, okay? When this is happening, Elijah is still around, mentoring Elisha, Micaiah or Micaiah, remember the guy who came and told Jehoshaphat, right? He is around. Jehu, not the other Jehu, Jehu the son of Hanani the seer, he is around. God doesn't use Elijah, Elisha, Jehu or Micaiah. He picks another man and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. Why do you think it will not come upon you? Because there are bigger people outside? Why do you think you cannot be used? All the big names in Israel's history is still around. Elijah who brought down fire. Elisha who will have the double portion. Micaiah who confronted two kings. And exactly as his word came. And Jehu, the seer. They're all there. God didn't use anybody. Picked one Levite from the midst. The spirit came and he spoke and he told the king exactly what to do. And we have one of the greatest victories always celebrated in the Bible. Anyone? Ezekiel 37.1 The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. That's Ezekiel. We'll say, but pastor, these are all old covenant. Really? Acts chapter 19.6 No, no, no. Not 19. Eight thirty-nine. Acts eight thirty-nine. And when they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord. So he's the same, right? My question is, do you believe? For the sake of the kingdom, God will do anything. Do you believe? Spirit came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet. Blew the trumpet. He was a weak man. He's a very, very weak man. Faith is strengthened a little and the Spirit of God came upon him and he blew the trumpet. And he blew the trumpet. Abyssalites all started gathering. I heard a man of God, I think it's Derek Prince or somebody who said, never judge a man of God. And he was talking to pastors, wives and family. He said, never judge him because you know he at home. Because when he stands at the pulpit and preaches, it's the spirit of God that is upon him. Don't judge him by what he's at home. The man who's at home, the man who's here are two different people. When you judge him, you judge the spirit of God. If you had judged Gideon or Moses or Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob, by their home, you would have got them completely wrong by what they did for God. Did for God. The same way, any one of you. The Spirit of God comes upon you and you do something, it's entirely God's work. You just obey. And last night I saw an illustration of Cory Ten Boom. You know Cory Ten Boom, the incredible lady. In her old age, he she, if I'm right, she told uh, Pastor Benny Hinn, when he met her as a young boy, he told Benny Hinn, 
Son, look here. She took her gloves. She said, do you see these gloves? Useless, right? Then she put a hand into the gloves. And you see these gloves now? You can do many things, right? He said, you know what I am? I'm just a glove. Like the hand in the glove is the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God is in me, I can do everything He wants me to do. Never forget it, son. You are just a glove. And He is the hand. That's why the Spirit, the hand of the Lord came. Never forget that. That's all we are. Just a glove. He is the hand. The issue is when we try to become the hand and try to make Him the glove. That's when men of God fall away. That's what happened to Uzziah. He was successful. As long as the Lord gave him success, he was successful, successful, successful. And then, scripture says, pride got into his heart. And he stepped outside his boundaries. God said, poor fellow, you're finished. They were all weak men. They all had their frailties. But they believed and they obeyed and the Spirit of God came upon them. How many gathered? 32. You know your numbers, right? 32. And how much is the enemy? 1 lakh? 35,000. How much is Gideon's? 32,000. What are the odds? Almost like 4 to 1. For every soldier you have, the enemy has how many soldiers? 4. Can you imagine when God told him in Judges 7 and verse 2? The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many. What are the odds? Four to one. You have one, they have four. For every soldier you have, they have four. And God is saying, they are too many. For whom? For me. God is not saying, they are too many. He is saying, you have too many for me. We would like to actually magnify the enemy. Says, Lord, they are so many. God says, no, you have too many with you. For me. To give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me. Saying, my own hand has saved me. Now you understand why God delays with a lot of people? Now you understand why God's ways are not our ways. And his ways will actually sound very foolish. But that is where his glory is manifested, displayed. Build an ark in the desert or in the land. That's what he told Noah. Go through the sea, he told Moses, not around or over, through the sea. Speak to the rock. You want water? Speak to the rock. What kind of a God is this little now? We have to first demolish Jericho, walk around the walls. A giant has come, send a boy with a sling. 300 Philistines, where is the farmer with the ox goat? Spurgeon has to be saved. Ah, Let the pastor be asleep, let the deacon preach today. Our story, history, you know, right?
Remember about a small little meeting. Big famous man was called and he was very upset. He didn't want to go. But his pastor said, go. No, there is nobody there, just a few people. And he said, go. And a great persuasion, he went and it was a Sunday school, VBS kind of a stuff. He preached. Not happy at all because he thought it was not up to his reputation and all to preach at a VBS and all. All three over, finished, gone. Wasn't very pleased with his senior pastor also if I remember my history. But one of the boys who got saved in that VBS, his name was Billy Graham. Okay. So you have to understand the ways of God. Don't ever preempt and think you know what he's going to do tomorrow. Just Listen and do it. You may not even understand what he is saying. Okay. You have to understand both. One, his heart and his ways. Both. Let's look at his heart first. That's what I said, knowing God. Judges 6.1 The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. The next verse. Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord and it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. When did they cry out? After seven years. Please remember, we don't cry immediately. See, we are very slow in crying out. God is very fast in responding to us. Understand his heart. They took seven years to cry and he answered them in one day. That's his heart. How many years did the prodigal son take to get back home? How long did it take the father to run to the son who was coming back? Understand God's heart. Know the person. Understand his ways. Both are important. Too little is more in God's hand. You got too many. Remember the math? Feeding of people math? He asked his disciples, no? Beware of the living of the uh, Pharisees. And they are all upset. We forgot to bring bread. Now he's talking about living. You don't understand? When I had five loaves of bread, I fed 5,000. When I had seven loaves of bread, I fed Our math is wrong, right? If you have five, you fed 5,000. When you had seven, he fed? Ayo, he fed less with more. That's not how our math works. Our math is, if he had seven loaves, then it should have been at least 7,000, right? But 4,000, why? What is he saying? Principle, God's mathematics, when there is more with you, he can do less. More of you, less of me. Less of you, more of me. Understand God's math. He says, God, you got too many people with you. God knows our hearts. God knows if Israel was strong, they would be prone to claim the glory for the victory. Listen carefully. Which would lead to a cycle of self-confidence and to destruction. It's not that God is a vain glory hunter. No. He knows something which we don't know. None of us know. We will never, 
ever outsmart or outwin the devil and his hordes without him. He is smarter than all of us put together. He is more powerful than all of us together. If we ever have to win a battle, it will be only with God's wisdom and God's power. Therefore he says, don't do it your way. Don't do it your strength. You will lose. God has no ego. Yes, he doesn't want all this glory and all his glorified in himself. But he's worried about his children. This is the truth. You and I can never outsmart the devil. You and I can never win over the devil without Christ and without the Holy Spirit's wisdom. So God says, don't put your trust in the arm of flesh. Never ever put your trust in the arm of the flesh. He says, you have too many. So contrary to the way we do things in the world. Isn't it true? Tomorrow is Monday. Morning meeting. Team manager gathers the team together. Come on team, we can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Come to church, pastor says, you cannot do it. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. Only God can. Everywhere. Next week, new cabinet will be sworn in and Prime Minister Modi will say, yes, we can do it. Eight years, Obama said, yes, we can. And nothing happened. The country went down. The worst state ever in the last 50 years. Do you see? If you go to a football game or a cricket game or everything, the huddle. Yes, we can. They pump themselves. They come to the church. God first deflates you. You cannot. Don't try it. This is your enemy. He's smarter than all of you. He's more powerful than of you. But in me, you have the mind of Christ Jesus. The very wisdom of God in me, my ways, in my strength. That's what Ephesians 6 put on. Stand in the power of God, not in your own power. God is not building confidence in ourselves, but building our confidence in Him. He is not a motivational speaker. He motivates the Christ in you because he knows our enemy. Please remember Jesus said, without me you can do. You can do. Everybody say, without Christ I can do nothing. That's why we live Christ here and nobody else. We are all prone to pride like Uzziah. Did I give you Second Chronicles? 15 and 16, just for memory's sake, let's read it again. And he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on towers, corners. I mean, he's, he's got military technology. God is giving him wisdom and he's like, new, 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 new medicine equipments are coming in over there. So his fame spread far and wide for he was marvelously helped till he became. Who helped him? God helped him. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. That's what God doesn't want. He has no issues as becoming strong, but he doesn't want our heart being lifted up. Be strong in me. Be strong in my ways. Be. That is why he loved Moses and allowed the stick in Moses' hands to do things unimaginable because Moses was the meekest of men. Meekest of men. It's not that God doesn't want. 
God wants to do great things, but he will also be very careful. If he does, he doesn't want to destroy his children. <clears throat> so please remember this. You can never be too small for God to use. That's a good statement, right? Just put your hand up. I can never be too small for God to use. Say. But I can be too big for God to use. Be careful. Be careful. Now I am not doing motivational speaker stuff and all. I just wanted you to repeat that. You are never too, you can never be too small. That's what Gideon and all said. Moses said, I can, uh, no, yeah, Moses said, I cannot speak. I am stammerer. I am weak from the days. He's lying, okay? Actually, his confidence, everything has gone. He's like, I'm good for nothing. God said, you're now good for something. Gideon said, I am the weakest. Meaning you can never be too small for God to do, not use you. But you can be too big for God not to use you. <clears throat> then God said, in 7.3, what did he say? Let the, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. He said, if you are afraid, you can go. And that's the first thing that will happen in India the next five years. All the fearful will sit quiet. If God wanted, he would have changed the government. So God wants me to be quiet. We'll justify our fearfulness also. Fearful of loss. Fearful of success. Fearful of name. Fearful of fame. Fearful of losing glory. All kinds of fear is there. God said, let them go. And I'm telling you honestly. This next few years, all the fearful will depart in every church. So depart meaning they will be there, but they will be unused. God will say, let the fearful go. The fearful go. How many went? How many left? 10,000. Now the odds are 1 to 14. Earlier it was better, 1 to 4. Now for every soldier you have, the enemy has 14 soldiers. What did God say? Take them to the water. Seven, four. But God said, people are still too many. (laughs) You see how different God's perspective is? People are still too many. Bring them down to the water. And listen to the next one. Read it carefully. And who? I will test them for. You will use them, but I will test them. You don't test them. I know, you will give grace mark and pass them. No, 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 no. Elections are coming, you will pass them. No, 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 no. I will test them for you. Okay, you apply the test, but I am setting the question paper. I will test them for you. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you, and whomor I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall. I will tell you who will go with you and who will not go with you. I will tell you. <clears throat> and you know what the test was. Can I have the next verse? The test focused only one thing. Only one thing. <clears throat> this is what God said. Take them to the water. He brought them down to the water and the Lord said, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on the knees to drink. They didn't understand. 
The only thing that mattered, God said, is the final test is vigilance. Now imagine, you are a soldier. Let me use my bag as an example, okay? So that you understand. This is how they are going. This is their shield. This is their sword. And the water is there. He says, those fellows who put it down both and drink like, chuck them out. Those fellows who hold it or holding their shield and drink, take them. Because freedom, eternal vigilance is the price you pay for your liberty. Those who are not vigilant will lose their freedom. Separate them at the water. Separate them. I will tell you whom to pick and whom not to pick. <clears throat> you see how God's tests are so different from ours? Let me ask you spiritually. When Paul talks about or the Holy Spirit speaks through Paul about Ama, Ama, Ama. There are two things he will say. Above all. What is that? The shield of faith by which you quench the fiery darts of the enemy and take the sword of the spirit. Two things. Above all. Only 300 passed the test. Now the odds were almost 450 to 1. Now wait a minute. Think for a minute of those who are told to go. The snarky comments they must have made. Who do you think this fellow is? He thinks he's smarter than all of us. How does it matter how a man drinks? How does it matter how a man talks? How does it matter how a man eats? How does it matter how a man dresses? These are the comments people make. God says, everything matters in battle. Everything matters. You are in war. An enemy you don't see. Crazy fellow. I'm sure I'll see his dead body tomorrow. That's how some of them must have talked and gone. So personal assessment is this. Purpose is this. Where do I fall? First is common to all flesh. That is called fear. Abraham was fearful. Isaac was fearful. Jacob was fearful. Moses was fearful. Joshua was fearful. Gideon. They were all fearful people who became brave in God. I like that words about Jehoshaphat. I like it very much. When he heard this thousands and thousands of enemy soldiers had gathered and come in 20 verse 3, right? Jehoshaphat, fear. Common. When you see the enemy, of course, when you see the majority, you get scared. Right? 540, 550, 340, 350, and I'm calculating. I went through Wikipedia, calculated. Now what I'm calculating, I'm not looking at the majority. I'm looking at the majority needed to con- change the constitution. Why? Because they want to change the constitution to make it into a um, uh, Hindu nation. The first thing I'm looking is, do they have the majority to change the constitution? And I found they don't have it in Rajya Sabha. 
Because these are duplicit politicians. That's how they pass Aadhaar as a money bill. Part of the money bill. When it is not a part of the money bill. The first thing I looked was that. Can they change the constitution of India? Because as long as the constitution cannot be changed, we still have freedom to go to court. Like Paul appealed to Caesar. I'm a Roman citizen. How dare you arrest me? The first thing. Everybody fears. Jehoshaphat also feared. But his next response is what is important. And set himself to seek the Lord. We will all fear. But where does fear take you? Away from God or towards God? He feared God, but he sought the Lord. 22,000 left. 10,000 are there. 9,700 of them were disqualified because they buried their faces in the water. That's all they did. They buried their faces in the their need. That was the need of the hour. They buried their face in that. And God is asking, do you know people bury their faces in their work? In their problems? In their worries? In their pleasures? While he says, Vigilance is the price you pay to maintain your liberty. Why? Because First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If you look at the entire Gideon's army, less than one in hundred was qualified. All were God's people. But all did not become God's soldiers. God chose Gideon and God also handpicked the men who would be with Gideon. It was God who did it all. Gideon had nothing to do with it. The chosen men were careful men. Were careful men. They were very careful. And they were courageous men. They were bold men. Now the men have been chosen. Still, one more bit confidence is needed for the leader. God knows his people well. No, One more bit. God is very compassionate, very kind with his people, with his leaders especially. You know Elijah ran away from Jezebel, wanted to die. God was let him sleep, woke him up, fed him, slept, wake up. Now you walk. and Come, I'll talk to you in a different place, quietly. I want thunder, no lightning, whisper. I don't want to agitate you also. Stop. Commission you, can go back, continue for another 10 years. He understands Gideon. says, you know, one more thing in chapter 7. It happened on the same night the Lord said to him. Who said to him? Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hands. He says, go. I have delivered the camp into your hands. You can go. But before that, but if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura yourself. If you are afraid to go alone, Mommy, I want to go to the bathroom. Will you come along? That is Gideon. You want your modern illustration. Bladder is about to pop, still will not go. Mummy's hand has to be there. He's telling the leader, Gideon, go down, okay? I know you. 
Take your friend, your servant, put up with you. Okay? You hold his hand and walk. Courageously, both of you walked out to the enemy's camp. Then they are going. And you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed camp. Men who were in the camp. We'll leave the rest. What? You see, it's so interesting that God can put his own words in the mouth of the enemy and give another person the interpretation of that dream and make you hear it. That's what I told Pastor Vijay yesterday. I said, you know what? You need to listen to the enemy. The enemy is more scared of us than they are of. We are of them. The enemy actually is more scared of God's people than anybody else, anywhere in the world. They know when a believing church arises, nothing can stop them. They are more scared. Why is he, what is one thing common everywhere in the world? The Christians are being persecuted. Why? Because they are afraid. If you are not afraid, leave them alone. They are the most harmless set of people, right? They don't fight, they don't kill, they don't do anything, they only do good. Why are you after them? Because you are afraid. You are afraid. Hardly hear about Christian terrorists. Nothing like that. Why are you after them? Because you are afraid. You listen to the enemy. The enemy is more afraid of you than you are of them. You see that? How God props up his leader and in verse 15, so it was when Gideon heard the tellings of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. Don't wait till you hear the enemy's report to worship God, okay? But at least, God. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. You know, that is the transition period. A little before he went in the camp, the Lord told him, Arise, I give the camp into your hands. He went, heard, came back. Now, the word of the Lord and the testimony of eyes have become one. And he goes to the people and he says, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp into our hands. Now Gideon's mind and will has become one with God's. That's when you know you're ready for battle. You've become one with God. The final verses, 16 and 17. He divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, look at me. Look at me. And do likewise. Look at me. Do likewise. That's why God cuts down numbers. The world is interested in numbers. God, when he wants to do anything specific, he doesn't want too many people. You remember the first battle mentioned in the Bible? Easy to remember, Genesis 14.14. The first battle. Yeah. 14.14. I want you to mark that. First battle. When Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went. He had many servants. Plenty, hundred, probably over a thousand servants. He didn't take everybody. He chose two things. One, he wanted those who were born into his house. Meaning, they grew up in his house. Meaning, they were loyal to him. 
loyalty. They were not bought servants. They were born servants. So there is a difference. They are loyal. First thing is loyalty. Second, they were trained. So God cut down 300, told Gideon, they are loyal, they are trained. And he looked at them and he said, do as I do. Come, let's go back. Look at me and do likewise. Watch. And when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. Further. It's interesting. Then the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Okay, I'm not getting into all that. We have preached all this donkey's years back. All this has been taught. So we are looking at a different thing. And every man stood in his place. Every man? When the day of evil comes, put on the full armor of God. And after we have done everything, stand. Stand continuously in the Bible. Stand and see the deliverance of the Lord. Know your place. Stand your ground. And then, it is not you who fight. It is God who fights. Every man stood in his place. That's what I was trying to tell you on Wednesday. One body, many parts. Everyone has to know his place. And everyone has to take his stand at his appointed place. Place. That's order. Order. Order is so important in, in a person's life. Order. And that's, got them in order. This is the appointed place, 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 place. Everyone, in your appointed place, stand. Verse 22. When you do that, when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man sword against his companions. That's all they did. They all, three groups, they stood in their place, broke the pitcher, left it and blew the trumpets and before you know the enemy was fighting among themselves. That's how we have to pray. The going gets gone. It's bad. Pray. God will do. It cause confusions. Alliance partners all fall away and go. They start fighting for positions, cabinet positions, secretary positions, municipal positions. What did you do? You didn't do it. You just stood there and prayed. Every man's hand against his brother. Not joking. This is how you pray. God does his work. We don't, this is physical warfare, we learn patterns in the spiritual warfare. But as I close, please remember the last part I said to young lot of young people here. Lord, know your place and please have order in your life. Do you know order saves you so much in life, time in life? Most of you do not have enough time for the things you have to necessarily do in life. Spiritual things is simply because you don't have order. You know how much Time order saves. Like if you are a sister in the kitchen, if you exactly know where your spoons, your forks, your knives, your dishes are, you know, it takes very little time. But the different each day you don't know where it is because each day you put it in a new place. <laughs> you don't know where your books are. 
You don't know where your clothes are. Do you know how much time you actually count because you do not have order? Do you know how much time you actually lose, waste in life? You don't have a spiritual order. This is my set time. This is the time I wake up generally. This is the time I have set up. By this time I am at my workplace. You know how much time you save and how effective you become in the hands of God when you have order in your life. That's the purpose. Without discipline, you can't have a disciple. I'm telling young people, honestly telling young people, have spiritual discipline and practical discipline in your life. Prayer is a discipline. Studying a word is a discipline. Listening is a discipline. And I keep telling you young people when I meet you, I say, no, you are, no. A lot of stuff which you do in life are mechanical things which doesn't need brain. Repeated things. Like cooking is a very mechanical thing. Please don't tell me it's a very artistic thing. It is not. It's a very mechanical thing. One time, two time, after that you can, with your eyes closed, you can do it. And don't make it into a great... No, it's not. It's a very simple mechanical. Okay, brothers, I'm giving you some tips, okay? It's a very mechanical thing, okay? So men also, if you have to cook, don't make it into something great, okay? It isn't. It's a very mechanical thing. It's great when you mess it up. (laughs) What I'm trying to tell you is that cooking, sweeping, washing, mopping are all mechanical things. Very mechanical things. When you do it, plug in. And listen to the word. Plug in and listen over and over and over. You actually listen and do your work. You can do it faster. Faster. That's how you need to have order in your life. You can be a generation who are trained. Are training constantly and ready. Because order has come. Order has come. And a little, little teeny weeny bit of mustard faith God found in you, like Gideon, hiding in the wine press. When everybody has retreated, given their harvest to the Midianites and gone into the caves, one fellow is in the wine press threshing and God comes and says, wow, mighty warrior, you are ready. Because you got little faith. Little faith. That's all God is looking for, little faith to step out and do these things for him. Okay, so never think you are too small for God. And I believe, spiritually speaking, exciting times are ahead. I really sense excitement, you know, because God loves the fight. I know that, because he's a man of war. And when the odds are against him, he loves it better. (laughs) Because scripture actually says he did not take Israel through the short route. He took them through the long route because he was giving time to the Pharaoh to catch up. Come, 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 come. Come after my people. Come, 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 come after my people. Come, long route. Finally, when he reached them, no general ever would pick a place like that. One side mountains, another side water and behind enemies. There's no way of escape. No way of escape. There's no way they can go. And they're all crying. God says, stop crying. I brought you here. This is exactly where I want your enemy placed. Because the enemies you see today, you will never see again. Never see again. And if you look at his first statement in the headlines of 
Prime Minister has said. You know what's the statement he made? We need to win the confidence of the minorities. Good statement. Very sensible statements. I'm honestly telling you, he will do better this five years. You know why? Because he always was afraid he was going to lose. Now that he has won with such absolute majority, he's excited. Excited. And I really believe for this nation, you need a tough prime minister who can do something. This nation has to be lifted out of poverty. It's one of the poorest nations in the world where they say actual numbers, 30% of the population, that's almost 40 crores, don't have one meal a day. We have to look at them. And the answer, of course, is not the government. The answer is the gospel. The gospel feeds the whole man because his dependence is upon God. So when it comes to the gospel, every one of you have a part. You can go where no pastor can go, no apostle can go, no evangelist is not allowed in G, no pastor is allowed in Amazon, (laughs) no apostle is allowed in Google, but you are. You are. You are. You need to pray like the church prayed, Lord, give us boldness. Speak boldly, Lord. And stretch forth your hand in the name of Jesus Christ to do signs and wonders. I believe, Lord. And keep me small all the days of my life. Let my faith not just be in my head where I am armchair talker. No, let it come into my heart so that I will say what I believe. Not just what I think on. What I believe. That's all God is looking at, people who believe. He said, these signs shall follow those who believe. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you, Father, because, Lord, we are weak. We are not strong. Really, Father, we are weak. Even as a church, we are not big. We are not rich. We have no influence. We have no name. Nothing. But we have you, Lord. You brought us through all these 11 years. We look back from the first day till today where to where you have stressed us. Every nation known, almost every nation known the word has reached. Yet we have remained small. We have remained weak. We have remained foolish in the eyes of the world. And I want to thank you, Father, for keeping us that way. Next week when we gather here, the twelfth year begins, the year of your government. But we stand here and we proclaim the government is upon your shoulders. And that the increase of your government, there is no end. And of your peace. And I pray, Father, that your government will increase upon everyone who is standing in your house here today. Everyone. They will experience the authority and the power of Jesus' name. Because you said, in my name. That's authority. And they will experience the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, wait until you receive power. When you receive power, you shall be my witnesses. 
And I pray, Father, this twelfth year, a people will arise who will walk in your name, in your power and in your authority. And we will walk this land. Then we shall possess the mountains. And we shall win souls for you, Lord. Let the word go forth, Lord. Bless your children. Bless them at their workplace. Bless when they open their mouth. Let them speak with boldness. Let the Christ in them be manifested, Lord, that their unbelieving friends will come to them and ask for prayer. Ask for counsel. Ask for help. And when they counsel them, it will be the very counsel of God. When they pray over them, the very power of God will be released. Every one of them, Lord. Every one of them. Let no one here consider themselves too small for God. Anoint your church. Prepare us, Lord. Prepare us. Because I believe what you so told me. I believe. This is the year of overflow. This is the year of overflow. For GDC here, GDC worldwide. The year of overflow. Children have been trained. And I believe they have order. And I pray they will find their place. And the vessel will be broken. Your light will be seen. And when they blow their trumpets. There will be a trembling in the ranks of the enemy. And we will see open heavens. We will see salvation. Maybe they won't come into our church. It doesn't matter. Let every church be full. There's enough and more people in this nation to fill every building. But let there be a harvest this next five years. Next five years, O Lord, you will do your work in this nation. Bless the leadership of every state and at the center. Give them wisdom, discernment and the fear of God. Plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus over your church, over every person, every household represented here. Protect them, cover them, keep them, Lord. Help us to walk with you and lean on to you. Always, your understanding and your power alone. Thank you, Father. Now by faith we lift up holy hands. and We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we proclaim, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.